This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Steve, you said that so fast and so flawlessly. I'm getting really good at it. I think I'm going to have to change up our intro. Oh, you're going to Just to slow you down there, <laughs> try to trip you up. Yep. Anyway, Steve, we've got a cold murder case tonight, a hauntingly sad tale out of Dayton, the murder of 20-year-old Paula Payne. Our story takes place on August 9, 1977, and Paula was living on Manhattan Avenue in Dayton with her sister Abigail and their parents, Herbert and Catherine Payne. Abigail saw her sister as she left home that Tuesday morning. They bid each other farewell as Paula stepped out to begin her walk to her job at the Dayton Museum of Natural History. Paula had graduated at the top of her class at Colonel White High School and was now set to enter her junior year at Earlham College. Am I saying that right, do you think? Earlham? I uh, I don't think it's Earlham. Earlham? Earlham. It's too Earlham. Anyway, she loved nature. When she was 10 years old, she started attending summer classes at the museum. And when she was old enough, she started volunteering there. She grew up wanting to be an ornithologist. You know what that is? Come on. It's an expert expert (laughs) on birds. Well, now she had come full circle. She was teaching nature classes to children in the summer camp at the museum, the very same kinds of classes that had inspired her career choice. But Paula didn't have a singular interest. At school, she was on the tennis team. She performed in plays. She even spent a term with a Florida marine biology program. On August 9, Paula was scheduled to teach a 9 a.m. class, but she wanted to get a head start. She had some hours to make up, so she left home just after 7 a.m., taking a route that led to a trail through the grounds at the back of the museum. As I said, she was early. Nobody knew to miss her right away. But when she didn't show up for her 9 a.m. class, co-workers called her home. Abigail answered. Hearing her sister was missing, Abigail and her father went to look for her, following the route she always took. But as they neared the Ridge Avenue Bridge, they saw police cars arriving. Paula had been found. 
her co-workers had also started tracking her path from the other end, and they found her not far behind the museum. She was lying just off the trail in a wooded area known as the Living Museum, naked but for her blouse, which was tied around her neck. She had been strangled with it. Interestingly, another Dayton woman had been kidnapped and taken to this very same spot the previous month on July 10. The woman then had been forced into a vehicle on North Main Street by a white male suspect, driven to the area behind the museum, dragged into the woods by knife point, then sexually assaulted. So this is an escalation here. Yeah, 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 definitely it sounds like a, a repeat offender. In Paula Payne's case, however, the Montgomery County coroner said there was no evidence she had been sexually assaulted. I wonder if they might have um, been spotted by somebody or at least the killer thought somebody was getting close. Hmm. Anyway, a city parks worker did come forward to say he'd heard a scream in that area about 7.30 the morning of Paula's murder. And 10 days later, it seemed police might be hot on someone's trail. Armed with a search warrant, Dayton homicide detectives went to the apartment of a man in the suburb of Trotwood and confiscated several items. The man drove a car that matched the description of a car that had been seen on the museum grounds the morning of Paula's murder, which was, by the way, the same kind of car described by the woman who was assaulted the month before. The search warrant stipulated they were looking for clothing Paula wore the morning of her murder, her apartment and museum keys, and a green backpack she carried but was missing from the crime scene. And officers indicated in filings that they did indeed confiscate ladies' undergarments, 22 keys, and a green backpack from his home. But police just as quickly put the rumors to rest, saying the objects found didn't belong to Paula and that they didn't consider the Trotwood man a suspect. No one was ever arrested in this case. Police interviewed co-workers and collected evidence, and a reward fund was set up. It grew from an original $2,000 to more than $8,000. But it produced no new leads, and the case went cold fast. In September, just six weeks later, Dayton police admitted they were no longer actively investigating Just six weeks? Yeah, they said... They had nothing to go on. Sergeant Philip Lust, who was head of the Homicide Division, told a Dayton Daily News reporter, at a time like this, all you can do is keep it on file and look into any other case that might be tied to it. After you have run the gamut on everything else, that's about all you can do. In the meantime, while the museum staff was on edge, believing that Paula's killer might be a serial offender who could attack again, Museum Director E.J. Kostner who described his staff as being heartbroken and crushed at the loss of Paula, said, What horrifies me now is that they probably won't catch this person until it happens again. And with that, the murder of Paula Payne faded into the background and a killer remained free. Then, 30 years later, Dayton police received a phone call and new hope. Someone they described as a concerned citizen led them to reopen the case and make a public plea for information. We don't know what the caller said, but investigators sent evidence from the crime scene to a lab for a new DNA analysis. 
Police also announced that they believed Paula's killer still lived in the area. But even then, Detective Patty Tackett indicated what they really needed was a confession. I do believe our suspect is sorry for what he did and does have a conscience and has talked to people, Tackett said. That was 2008. Wow, it's 2019, Steve. This case still remains unsolved. You know, we all, like we always say, there's always hope because I mean, these cold cases are getting solved left and right. So. Yeah, and it sounds like they know who he is or at least suspect who he is. And even though it's been a long time, that means there's still a chance something will turn up to connect him. That's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. And may all of your mysteries have happy endings. Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecla, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts.